Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are discussing a paper titled Relationships Between the Rider's Pelvic Mobility and Balance on a Gymnastic Ball with Equestrian Skills and Effects on Horse Welfare. Now, this paper is by Uldahl et al. It's also connected to the Christensen et al. paper we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that they use the same 20 horses and 20 riders um, that were in the weight distribution study. So check back on that episode. And this paper came out of that study. They just added some of the balance and the physiological metrics um, to be able to do this paper. So the simple summary is that horse riders need to be stable and well-balanced in order to give clear instructions to the horse. Riders use various types of off-horse gymnastic training in an attempt to improve riding performance, but there's little information available to support or refute the value of that training. This study actually evaluates and scored 20 experienced riders for their performance of three exercises on a gymnastic ball for quality and harmony when riding their own horse. The rider's ability to roll the pelvis from side to side was highly correlated with the quality and harmony of their riding performance. The ability to balance statically on the ball trended toward a negative correlation with pelvic roll ability. When ridden by riders with higher scores for pelvic roll ability, horses showed significantly fewer conflict behaviors and worked at a higher heart rate, which reflects a more effective rider producing more impulsion while riding with greater clarity. It appears that the ability to actively move the pelvis when sitting on the ball is more relevant to equestrian performance than balancing statically on the ball in a position that is very different from the riding position. So I thought this paper was so interesting and that so many of us attempt to work on our balance when realistically I think we need to work on core strength and pelvic flexibility or hip flexibility. What do you think about that Kate? Yeah I thought that was I mean the word that kept coming to my mind was kind of that fluidity so Mm -hmm. without having mobility in your hips you're unable to get that fluid motion of moving with the horse. Um, I thought it was really fascinating that these, the using the ball really doesn't help you in practicing this kind of balance that you need 
to um, have that core stability to be able to follow and guide the horse's movements. So I think one way I used to think of it or was told to think of it when I was younger is kind of imagine the horse's energy is coming up through you and it's going as a full circle back into them. So you're moving together the whole time and learning to just statically balance on a ball doesn't teach you to move with the movement of the horse. So it's almost like the rocking behavior. Um, and I just, yeah, I thought it was really well laid out and how they actually carried out the study because they wanted to make sure, you know, there were a number of things that weren't causing these conflict behaviors. So me and Nancy will kind of go through that as we go through the paper. But they did find that overall horses that were ridden by the riders that had this better mobility in their pelvis and control showed significantly fewer conflict behaviors. So it is better essentially for the horse's welfare to have this core stability and pelvic mobility. Yeah, and I think too, I wanted to make sure people remember that this these were dressage riders. They were doing dressage tests. So um, they would warm up for 20 minutes and after the warm up, the horse was ridden in a walk for two minutes before performing a standardized dressage test. And I think they did like what, five minutes, 20 seconds of a dressage yeah. test. So they did like a walk, a trot, a canter, and then a walk with a change of direction. And then they would do the trot, canter, walk going the reverse so the riders did sit in the saddle for all gates so they did not post and then um, they measured the heart rate of the horse and the salivary cortisol and um, you know it ended up um, they also took a video so they could evaluate um, I guess by slowing the video down and really studying it, they could pick out those conflict behaviors. And then they did score all of this with quality and harmony on the ridden side of things. So I thought it was very well thought out of and um, they did a very good job of planning this out. Um, when they got off the free ride or the initial ride, the rider dismounted and the horse was fitted with a saddle pressure mat. And then they remounted and rode the horse in two 20 meter cir circles in a sitting trot on each rein. So that's where they got the um, rider, the saddle pressure mat readings. And I think we all know how much harder a sitting trot is when it comes to course stability and balance on a horse. Yeah. Um, that was, I, I thought that really um, part of it, which we'll bring up as we go through the sections, but the fact that a posting trot puts a lot of extra pressure on the horse um, made me realize, I think I do ride my pony more in sitting trot because it's easier yeah. on her at times, you know. But anyway, um, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're okay. I was just going to say on the note about it, um, being dressage that the horses were doing, this is super applicable across all equestrian sports. And they make a really great point in this paper that when we look at Olympic equestrian sports, it's really unique in the sense that we have two athletes involved. We have the rider and the horse. 
but in the point of using a dressage um, layout for this testing was significant because in dressage, if the horse is resisting certain movements and basically like napping or refusing to do what the rider is asking them, the rider will lose points or they lose points in the dressage test. So it's really important that the horse actually is listening to the rider and is performing. Now, the conflict behaviors can also be that resistance. So if you have a rider that doesn't have this mobility, doesn't have the fluidity, um, or equally, if you have tack that's ill-fitting or you know weight distribution isn't right on their back, we get these conflict behaviors that will actually have a knock-on effect as well to the results when it comes to that test. Um, they pointed out too in this about having um, left-right asymmetry as the rider on the horse's back. So they said there was another study where riders, um, I think they completed an eight-week fitness program, but it focused on like core strength. And they found in the riders that did that, there was a significant reduction in that left-right asymmetry. And Nancy and I were chatting before we started podcasts, and I was saying, you know, I'm very aware that I uh, favor my left side. So I would lean to my left more than my right. And then, Nancy, you were saying you're the opposite. You lean more to your right. Yep. Yeah. And I wonder if it's from galloping on the track always to the left. Mm -hmm. So you would maybe put more weight in that right stirrup. But even on a balance board, um, I would tend to put more weight in my right stirrup or right foot. And yet in my seat, I think I put more weight in my left uh, seat bone. So it's kind of odd. I might, and Kate, you pointed out that maybe I'm compensating for the more weight on my right side. But um, I thought it was really unique that the way they measured the rider's standing weight, they used two bathroom scales and just had the riders get on them and look straight ahead, not look down, but look straight ahead. And I thought, how clever I do the Wii balance board still. So I can get rid of my Wii and go buy two bathroom scales. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Nintendo Wii balance board that used to be able to get um, yeah. not that long ago, to be fair. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the bathroom scale is such a great idea, but do look straight forward because you're going to compensate the minute you look down and wait until they kind of set the reading and then have a look. Um, like what a really efficient, cheap way to to test that. And then you can do exercises that build up the other side. So like, for instance, if you have one side that's weaker than the other, you can focus more on doing some strength training and um, do equal strength training on both, but maybe just do a couple extra reps on that other side to try and build it up. But well, remember, yeah. Kate, we did the episode where the physio physiology where they would put something like a small ball or yes. a small pad in the stirrup that you tend to be light on and that reminds your brain to put more weight 
in that other stirrup. So little reminders like that. And that's, that's what I do. I try to use something to help me remember which side I tend to be a little light on. And, uh, but check out that episode. I think it was on rider physiology. Yeah, I remember that now, actually, um, mm-hmm. just like a little brain, something that wakes your brain up and tells you to pay yeah. attention to that side. Yeah, and some people use tape. They use kinesiology tape to remind themselves, whether it's on their forearm or their calf to put more leg on a horse. I mean, you can. there are things out there you can use to help your own mentality to keep on task and to remind yourself otherwise your muscle memory doesn't set in and you, you know, you'll never achieve that little bit of advancement. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And again, just another practical thing that Mm -hmm. you can use at home. Now the deal is if this study, the standing weight actually affected stirrup weight or not, and we'll get into that. The other thing is too, you can get like wooden balance boards online for just practicing balance distribution. Um, but again, that's just for your overall control of your body balance, because as they found in this, you really need like to hone in on being good at balancing on a horse. You really need to kind of practice in something that simulates that as closely as possible. So the ball didn't really simulate it as well because you can't wrap your legs under around the ball and you don't sit in the same positioning as you do on a horse and so all these things are great to build up your strength training and then doing mobility exercises for your hips would be so useful in opening up um just your pelvis area and having better fluidity on the horse yeah and then they did find that the pelvic roll in the pelvic circles seem to make a difference in the quality and fluidity or quality and harmony, they called it, um, in the riding scores. So the riders that had more control pelvic-wise weren't as stiff, were able to roll and do circles easier. Um, They ended up being somewhat the better riders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts of this was how they actually had them balance on the ball because I can imagine it was yes. incredibly entertaining. <laughs> so <laughs> they had the risers sit upright on the um, gymnastic ball with your feet on the ground and arms extended out horizontally to each side. And then they lift their feet off the ground and attempt to balance for 30 seconds. If they lose their balance, they put their feet on the ground and they're told to re-stabilize and repeat the exercise. So during this evaluation, um, they identified the rider's default movement pattern when losing balance. So when they start to lose balance, do they instantly put their weight to the right or do they put their weight to the left buttock? Um, What direction their pelvic tilt was, whether it was forwards or backwards, and the amount of involuntary movement of arms and legs. So are you flailing about the place? Um, And then how long was that duration of continuous balancing? So that was graded on a scale of one to three, with one being poor, two being moderate, and three being good. Yeah, and it was, I was really surprised with this one because 
I would always think your balance is so important on the ball. So I had to, this kind of made me rethink um, little gymnastic exercises you can do for improving your horseback riding. What I thought really was the opposite because how often do we sit on a, a gymnastic ball and try to balance and use mm-hmm. that core? But that isn't where it was at. It was definitely in, I think it would be termed hip or pelvic flexibility. And yeah. uh, I also thought, Kate, it was interesting about the riders who would stand or walk with an ankle version. Mm-hmm. So their ankles were either turned in or turned out. They weren't at, um, actually like straight lined up. Foot. Um, they had a more pronounced, um, I guess, asymmetry uh, when rocking on a balance chair from side to side. And they said that for every one degree of pelvic roll asymmetry when rocking the chair, it predicted 2.4 degrees of asymmetry while riding. And so that's what kind of indicated the relationship between standing posture, pelvic control, in riding performance. So that's why the, um, you know, they kind of tied the standing, the seat pressure, and then also the uh, riding performance all into a nice little bundle to get the results. Um, When we mentioned as well, quality and harmony before, that is basically a term that, takes into account a couple of different things. So this is where the rider's position, seat, effectiveness of aids, precision, and general impression all come together. So the videos from this test, which the riders um, carried no extra weight, were analyzed and then separately analyzed by two different professionals and scored so they could basically moderate it and see if both professionals came to the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. But that's where this kind of ties in as well with this is part of that bigger study. So the one that Nancy and I have discussed before where we talked about rider weight and where they added extra weight. In this section where they're doing this testing, this is before any of that extra weight was added. Yeah, yeah. And then um, also uh, what they saw is that salivary cortisol and heart rate of the horse, um, the higher the cortisol, the... um, what was it, there more conflict behaviors existed, but the higher the heart rate, there seemed to be more pelvic uh, flexibility and roll and all that um, that benefited the riding. So that meant the horses were getting a much better workout. Yeah, I think the horses were probably able to achieve that higher heart rate because they aren't having these conflict behaviors or this resistance to what they're actually doing because it's more comfortable and fluid. They're more willing to work. So they work harder. So I thought that was really interesting because a lot of the time and in a lot of the episodes, we talk about a higher heart rate kind of signaling, you know, um, stress or signaling um, something that's not quite right. But in this case, we want to reach max heart rates in a performance and in training. 
So that was kind of, you know, switching how you normally think of it and picturing it in this sense where we're asking the horses to work harder. Yeah. And then I had to kind of laugh at the one part in conflict behaviors because they said a trained student observer recorded all occurrences of the following behaviors. Number one was undesired body movements like bucking and kicking. Yeah, normally in dressage, you don't want to see that. (laughs) And then head movements would be head tossing or shaking. And then we've all seen dressage horses sometimes with distinct uh, lateral or circular tail movements and uh, mouth opening and things like that, that may be signaling conflict behaviors. So, but the bucking and kicking, I said, I've been in a few dressage tests with that going on, even a few side <laughs> passes <laughs> that were unintended, you know? So yeah. anyway, um, I thought this, they really did think of everything and they did kind of bring up uh me thinking of this in a little bit different way. I knew core strength was so important, but um, pelvic and hip flexibility is also something. And I don't think um, you go wrong by stretching. And I think we said that the last couple episodes that, you know, it's about being flexible and stretching and, and things like that, because um, then you're not going to be a stiff rider up there and especially the ankle eversion that was something I had never thought of before that even that um, kind of made a difference in the pressure that a rider puts whether it's in the stirrups or in the seat. I think it's such a great point because well firstly on the stretching it's something that I think no one wants to do you know it's it's boring and nobody wants to stretch and it takes so long to see the benefits and we like to see quick benefits from things and um, I think also you know doing that core stability and that fitness again you have so much to do in a day you might be running a busy yard you might have multiple horses in your own herd you know you're working you're trying to fit in this hobby as well or you are you know squeezing this in on a Saturday But I think one thing that definitely motivates um, horse owners and riders is the horse. So taking into account that you're, okay, doing this for you is going to improve your health and your longevity and your fitness. And we want that for ourselves to live long, healthy lives. But sometimes we put ourselves on the back burner. So maybe let's just picture the horse first and use that as our motivation. If we do this, it's going to help them from a welfare point of view, but it's going to have such a knock-on effect on performance. And if you're doing any kind of competing or even just practicing, you know, going towards your pony club tests or you enjoy going out and doing cross country, you know, you don't really mind where you come necessarily in um, the final, you know, whether you're going to be first, second or third, but the actual performance of the horse, you're going to want them to be able to do their best and not to, be causing any kinds of confliction as you ride them. So I think putting them at the forefront of why we need to look after ourselves and why we need to be healthy and do our stretches is important. Um, from an ankle aversion point of view, you can go to like really good footwear shops where they now have treadmills 
and they get you to walk on the treadmill and they video you doing it and they can get you to do a little jog on it as well. And they assess your um, positioning of your foot. So it's like a gait assessment that we were doing horses. They do that for people. Then they tell you what kind of shoes you need to wear. So whether you need a neutral sole or you need some stability or action, and um, they'll talk you through that. Now, if you do need some correction, um, at that point, they're going to give you like recommendations for an everyday like trainer. But we know that's not going to be enough because we're not going to wear trainers when we're riding our horses. We're going to have um, our riding boots on. But if you go and you get that information, and most of these places do that for free, completely for free, with the thoughts that you may buy a trainer off them or a runner, um, whichever you call them, pair of shoes from the place. Um, but getting that knowledge and seeing, right, I actually, I overroll my ankle, I need correction. Then you are best to just book yourself in for a physio appointment and get the exercises specific to you to be able to correct that. That's interesting, Kate. And would you have ever correlated that with riding? I don't think I did before because I know that um, when I was younger and I was still riding a lot, I had fallen arches. Um, but I never really, so I would have wore um, an insole with a higher arch in all my general shoes. I never put it into my riding boots. Mm -hmm. It never even crossed my mind and I think in my head I was like oh but I don't use that part of my foot I just use the ball of my foot so it doesn't matter but it is it's all about that distribution of pressure and you know if you're putting all that pressure against the ball of your foot and you naturally have a fallen arch you're going to press that down into the boot as well so knowing what I know now and having last month gone and done one of those um the company I went to was Run For It. They're in the UK. I think they might have some in Ireland, but they, they're they absolutely brilliant and really friendly and great advice. And they do that analysis and talk you through it. Incredibly useful. That's amazing. Yeah, I think we have like the Good Feet store over here that does that analysis, but I'm not so sure it's with a treadmill. I'll have to look into that. But it, this was a good study. I think it... Uh, is good anything we can do um, physical wise off the horse to improve on the horse helps the horse rider interaction immensely and the more we know about what works and what doesn't this study actually has good results and uh, specific results you know we never had that before so um, I, I think you know we're on the right road when research for horse rider interaction is going this direction yeah and I think it's yeah. something that we're going to see a lot more of as well you know, especially when it comes to competitions and tests, we need to make sure that our riding is ethical and welfare friendly. Yeah. Um, but just to know, you can actually use a gymnastic ball to help yourself. So it's it's not the best example. Um, but they do say that doing simple exercises that emphasize the ability to move and control the pelvis will be useful. So that's just do your pelvic mobility exercises. And if there are pelvic mobility exercises with a gymnastic ball, doing those will help in this scenario. But just learning to balance on it statically isn't going to be enough. Yeah, 
Well, that's a good conclusion, Kate, right there. That kind of wraps it all up. So um, did you have anything else to add? No, this was a great paper. So thank you, Nancy, for suggesting it. And it's a really nice follow on um, from the last episode we did. I kind of liked the fact that they combined, uh, they used, you know, one paper to lead into another. So I thought, you know what, that's, um, you know, kind of a good goal of research is to be be able to get more than one paper out of it, you know. Yeah. So, and even in this one, I'm sure they mentioned further ways they could go on to study. Yeah, probably so. And I'm all far improving myself uh, physically to be able to to keep writing, um, you know, throughout my life. So mm-hmm. you don't want to, you know, impede that, you know, uh, gosh, I know some people that are in their 80s still riding horses. So I think that's wonderful. And, and we should all hope to be able to do that. I think that's definitely the long term goal. And how many people do you know that were sorry that have bad backs or, mm. you know, have this ailment or that ailment. So look out for yourself. If you are um, fit and healthy, keep it yeah. that way by, you know, doing your best to do your stretches. And if it's something that you struggle with, then try your best to work on it. But it, I know it's not easy and it's not accessible for everyone. You know, you can't just be like everyone needs to do that eight week core training because that's not accessible to everyone and the beauty of rising is that you know it is open to you know when we talk about things like um therapeutic rising it is open to people obviously that don't have um core stability but when we're talking about performance rising and kind of getting to that higher level of performance then it does benefit you Yep. And um, I wanted to thank Coralie for the email on the Edinburgh program. I don't want to forget to mention her this week. I didn't say her name last week, but um, it was a good inquiry. And if anyone else has any inquiries about that program, we're we're willing to, um, you know, replay last week's episode um, to hear our thoughts. And we just loved it. And uh, it taught us so much. So yeah, definitely. Thanks so much, Shansi. I think that's everything I had for this week. Okay. Well, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.